Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We have the honor today of being in Colossians chapter 2. If you missed Colossians 1 last week, it was a, a Christological tour de force. It's talking about Jesus and, and, and the second person of the Trinity. It's hard to beat Philippians 2. It's hard to beat Colossians 1. There's a five-verse stretch in Colossians 1. If you haven't heard that conversation, feel free to finish this episode, but go back one more in the past and check out Colossians 1. Well, we are in Colossians 2 again today, and uh, it's an honor to be here, and let's let's open with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your text. We thank you for how your word works in our in our hearts and in our minds and how it guides us and directs us. And I just pray, Lord, that we would not only just listen to your word today, but that we would believe it we, and we obey it and, and put these things into practice. I'm so grateful for my friend Mick, to, who's with me this morning, and this discussion we're going to have. I pray it glorifies you. Yes. We, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, our, our, our time today is going to have another crystal, kind of a Christological section in the middle. So we're going to slow walk 9 to 15, but uh, be prepared for that. But we're going to start with 1 to 5. And Paul kind of begins with um, kind of a pastoral desire for the Colossians. It begins, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So make, uh, he kind of brings it up in verse in verse one of that in verse five. What's the overall pastoral desire that paul seems to have for the colossian church paul wants them to be encouraged and he wants them to to passionately live out their faith he wants them to be unified you know he wants them to be a unified front in in the love of jesus and and he wants them to have complete confidence and and complete understanding of god and, and 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 what god is doing and he wants them to have the blessings that god wants to give them that go along with that wisdom and knowledge Mm. Yeah, and he's he also speaks something along the lines of not being in trouble because he can't see him face to face. Is there mm-hmm. something? I mean, re- remind our listeners, where's, why can't Paul see them face to face? So yeah, uh, like the um, like the other letters that we've been covering recently, Ephesians, Philemon, um, this one as well was written while he was in prison. So he can't just pick up and visit them. Right. Because there's some people that I always say, I I love to see you, but I'm just never in town. Well, I mean, this is he's not he's in prison. So he can't just go drop and just go travel to Colossae. Yeah. And and unlike the people like in Philippi, he knows less of the Colossians. He knows mm. Epaphras, but he's not it doesn't seem like he's very well familiar with most of the the Colossian church. Right. For that matter, the Laodiceans that he mentions as well. And I, I like that you bring up that, that that city name because that that was something that you brought up in chapter one, where you tied the city of Colossae to 
it might be like a sister city, Laodicea. Mm -hmm. And Laodicea gets the, the, the book of Revelation cred because they get a letter written to them and Colossae doesn't. So, but here, uh, the, the Colossae gets what, what appears Although to be a letter it's the kind of cred you don't really want. You don't want it because they, they, <laughs> they, they were the city that was, uh, yeah, that didn't get a good report. So uh, Paul speaks in verse three about treasures and and I think he's talking about this mystery in verse two. So, so what's going on with the mystery and what treasures he's talking about here? All right. Well, the treasures are generally benefits. I think we need to understand it as such. So these are things of value that, that enrich our lives. Um, you know, and what I mean enrich, I mean not necessarily physical monetary prosperity, but that the that improves the quality of our lives in, in the more eternal sense. And what Paul is saying that in Jesus, there are blessings that come. From, from wisdom and knowledge. Uh, there is great value in knowing and understanding God. And, and, and I believe Jesus, God becoming man, the incarnation, to use that big theological fancy term, is the big mystery of verse two. Mm. Um, it, it's God revealing himself in a way he had not throughout all of human history up till that point. And, and, and in, in verse four, Paul kind of hints that there's some danger that he's not around what 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 was the great temptation what what were the what was the colossian and christian what were they up against here look paul um paul was a very knowledgeable guy I and mean, paul understood how impressive the arguments from the neighboring greeks could sound you know we're talking about this is like the height of greek philosophy here at this time that they're living so there was a lot of ideas being being thrown around and they're being presented in such a way that you, you can almost give them credence. So he had debated some of these great Greek thinkers himself. He knew how plausible and persuasive their arguments could be to anybody, you know, to the untrained mind. So he's like this father wanting to protect his children here from, from bad ideas. Amen. Well, that's our opening section here in, in, in Colossians 2. And the next section is 6 to 8. Therefore, as you have, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So it seems like Paul gives them some positive encouragement and then some negative warnings here. What, Mick, what would you say is the positive encouragement Paul gives them in these three verses? Well, the positive encouragement is that as recipients of God's salvation, Paul encourages them, and by, by extension us, to continue being connected. And, and that's what root, being rooted means, to be plugged into Jesus. Um, it's like a tree. We, we only grow and get stronger as our roots, you know, deepen and, and you know, and, and further in, you know. Uh, in, into Jesus. And Paul reminds us that the Christian life starts and continues in faith. He says to trust in Jesus, which means that we submit to him as Lord. And as he reminds us, we have so much to be grateful for. You know, that's where he, what he means by abounding in thanksgiving in verse seven. Mm. But it, it seems like he's got some warnings for them. Like they were up against yeah. some kind of a theological danger. What's going on there, Mick? Yeah, so, um, so he warns us to watch out to not be deceived. This is a continuation of what he mentioned in verse four. Again, he knew how, how cool, how popular, how trending these things could, could seem um, and, and how, how they could sound. But he also knew that they were lies. He, 
we see them all the time. Love is love. Uh, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. And on a surface level, they, this may seem harmless and even seem like it has a ring of truth and sound nice. But sadly, their lies straight out of hell. You know, um, and, and what makes anything a lie? Simply that it goes against anything that God has already revealed. The example of that, we can take, take it all the way back to Genesis. Did God really say that? Yeah. He didn't say that. Yeah, and, and, and I, I like that Paul brings up the word deceit. Mm -hmm. I realize this is Greek versus the Hebrew, but it just reminds us of, of Jeremiah 17, where, yeah. where, where, where we don't follow our heart because the heart is deceitful. And so it lies to us. And so there's, there's these things that are very worldly that we want to follow. And they, there's a reason why pop psychology is called pop psychology, because it's popular. And so there, there, there's a reason why we want to follow these things. But no, I, I'm glad you mentioned the follow your heart thing. It's this, there's something about following these other things of the world that they're going to sound good to you, but they're actually deceiving you and they're not going to lead you where you want to go. And I, I, and I like that you brought that up there. Well, this is, this so, is, um, there's a, some, sorry about that. There was, there was a thing like I was reading and, and you know, that, you know, we, there was a poll taken, like, what is the verse that most Americans know? And it said something along the lines, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Hmm. And I think you're chuckling because you already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. Right. That's just not in the Bible. In fact, it, it even, it's, it, it, it runs against what the Bible generally says. God helps the helpless. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's almost like people like to take, um, you know, you're trusting in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. and a lot of people run to that and if you're really putting your trust in the lord you you you're, he's really going to give you the desires of his heart and because mm -hmm. because then the, if you're going to get things from god your desires need to line up with his desires yes so it's, it's not like you're really just going to get what you want no it, when you want what god's want you're going to get i mean there's just kind of if you've aligned your desires to god's desires that's when you're going to receive because why would God not answer that, that prayer? It's like thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His will is going to be done. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. So to pray along those lines is a guaranteed yeah. way for God to answer your prayers with an affirmative because this is what God desires. So God's going to get what he desires kind of thing. So, but yeah, a lot of, that'd be another one. God's going to give me the desires of my heart. Well, no, your, your heart's going to lead you astray. We just talked about that. So we got to be careful. So if it's all about you and your selfishness, then no, it's not going to work that way. So we've been cruising right along here. This is already a great reminder for us all. And not only just, just reading this to the Colossian church, but it's just not written to us, but here preserved for us. And, and wow, this is good stuff. So next is going to be that, that section that I warned us about at the very beginning, uh, 9 to 15. And so what I, what I thought I would do here, Mick, is to kind of slow walk this. So I'm not... My idea was I'm going to read 9 to 15 in one big chunk, and then we're going to just kind of go back and read each verse, and then you're going to help us with that. So I'll read it real quick, and then it's going to sound like a big mouthful, but we're going to go go through. Okay, so verse 9, for in him, and this is the context, elemental spirits of the world, and then not according to Christ. So Christ is the context. For in him, as in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Wow. So we thought chapter one had a Christological moment. This Christological moment even brings up other books of the Bible here. I mean, other works of Paul. This is, this is pretty amazing that Paul, I mean, this, this letter to the Colossians, Colossians is, 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 is I, I don't want to discredit the others by saying they're not about Christ, but oh my goodness, this is focusing so much on Christ. So let's start with verse nine, Mick. And I'll, what I'll do is for the sake of, of our listeners, I'll just, I'll just recall it real quick. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what's he communicating in verse nine, Mick? So he's saying all of God is present. It's manifest in Jesus. Even as a man, we have to understand there isn't one iota of Jesus that isn't God. Jesus never stopped being God by virtue of becoming a man. Paul wrote this because in some Greeks, in some sectors of Greek philosophy, everything that was matter and material was evil. And, and Paul was saying, no, God is good and Jesus is God. And the fact that he became a person of matter, you know, um, did not mean that he stopped being God and that he was no longer good. I mean, these are the kinds of things that Paul and the Colossians had to contend with. You know, an equivalent that we face these days is people saying Jesus can't be both God and man. You know, uh, I'll, I'll name drop the Muslims and Jehovah Witnesses to, to name, you know, again, same lies just centuries later. Yeah, it's like Paul's taking the extra effort to say bodily. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, if the flesh, there were some of the, I, it's hard to tell if the, if the Gnostics were popular back in Paul's day or they were later in John's day, or maybe they were starting here. But they well, I were, think, uh, honestly, even with the Gnostics, it, there's always been like a, an undercurrent of that. I think it picked up more towards John when John wrote his, his right. letters. But yeah, right here, you're starting to see it in, in, in a right. much more seed form. Yeah, and this is something that it sounds like chapter one. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah. He, he said something like this um, in verses 10 to 15 of chapter one. So all the fullness of the deity, that God was pleased to fully dwell in him or something. I, I'm not looking at the chapter and trying to recall mm -hmm. that verse particularly. But yeah, it sounds like the verse there. So that, that's verse nine, verse 10. And you, as he's speaking to um, the Colossians here, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So verse 10, Mick. Right. So uh, in verse 10, Jesus is the head. And, and as such, that means that he rules everyone and everything. Um, there is not anything that is not under that that escapes his rule. Uh, if Jesus isn't your Lord, then you really haven't trusted him to be your savior. His being savior is inseparable to him being Lord. And again, and I, lo I always love deferring back to, to Philippians 2. Every knee will bow everywhere. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So my, my big encouragement is get with the program. Right. And there's a lot of philosophies out there that, that, that describe being empty and you got to empty yourself and you have to, life is about just quieting everything and being empty. Yeah. And, and, and this is exactly the opposite. Yeah. Paul I mean, is saying you've been filled. It's like the Christian life is not about this ascetic emptiness. It's about being filled by Jesus. Exactly. We need that filling because, again, the, that, the famous phrase, we have that God-shaped hole in our hearts. And right. we need Jesus to fill it. 
So in, in the empty philosophies, I'm tempted now to search for my purpose. I'm, I'm tempted now to maybe find myself or find my passion. I'm, I make the meaning of my life to go searching and to, to what's going to fill me. And here, no, no, your purpose and identity is given to you by Christ. It's like you're being, you're, it, it assumes that you had an emptiness that he's now filling, like you said, that whole. And so I, I like that you're being filled in Christ. And so yeah. there's something here that as you submit to his rulership, you're, he's actually filling you. And so verse 11, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Is, it, is this a link back to our Galatian discussion? You know, um, with circumcision is always one of those words where, you, 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 you know, it raises a flag. <laughs> so you know that there's a hint of that going on here. So with circumcision being the symbol of, of a cleansing of sorts, and a separation from Israel's immoral uh, neighbors. What Paul is saying is that when we are joined with and to Jesus, we are actually circumcised in a manner of speaking, not so much in the body, but in our hearts. And um, I was looking up a, a passage for this that, that, that illustrates this really nicely. In, in Jeremiah 4.4, 4, where it says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. Mm. Jesus purifies us. And that's what the whole imagery of, of circumcision is. And, it, and it's always good to keep that in mind. Yeah, because we know that's a metaphor because mm -hmm. not, not even the ancients would have pictured their heart having or their, their inside will as having a foreskin. So, it is, so even then there was a metaphor. So what is that yeah. metaphor now? And so what, what, is, or what are you able to do? What, what, what is this really talking about? Is this really talking about something deeper and spiritual so it's almost like he's reversing course here whereas in the, in the previous couple of verses he took great pains to say no 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 this the son of god thing is also about him being god in the body and yeah. here he's saying but hold on about the body thing because yeah. your life is not about your external body stuff and this commitment is now a, a deeper uh, inside commitment not just a, an external fleshly thing yeah and so it's almost like he's flipping the script there for the sake of when it comes to God, we need to know that he, he, he was the word made flesh. We need to know that. When you look at Christianity and you compare it and you do side by studies with other philosophies, religions and worldviews, you realize that Christianity really is the most holistic of them all. It is the most it, it, it does the best job of explaining everything, not overemphasizing one thing and ignoring the other. We are physical, spiritual beings. It's evident. To anybody that really wants to see. Amen. So Paul continues in verse 12. Uh, he brings up baptism here. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So what yeah, does that so look like? Yeah, so this is basically Galatians 2.20 yet again. When we trust Jesus for salvation, we're joined to him in his death and resurrection. It's spiritual at first, and it's symbolized by water baptism, and it will one day be our actual, literal, physical reality. Right now, if you will, it's on credit, but there will be a day where it's going to be cashed in. So for our listeners, uh, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live with Christ. Lives. So this idea of I'm being crucified with Christ. And, and for those of us who are not masochistic, uh, we realize that our crucifixion is metaphorical. Jesus's crucifixion was literal. So when we're crucified with Christ, there's something metaphorical about that and that we're crucifying um, our passions and desires, maybe the former 
I would say more than metaphorical, it's spiritual. Spiritual. It happens, it is. It happens in a, in a in a in a spiritual heavenly sense. Um, okay. You know, I, I I I like using both terms kind of separately from each other because uh, I think something about metaphors is that metaphors get misused so many more so much more often than it's a better than to way say, to put it. Yeah, than to say uh, spiritual. It happens on a spiritual level. We we have a way of seeing time and space, and God has a different way of seeing it. Mm. Amen. And so, and those, and and those of our listeners who have who have witnessed a Christian baptism, some variation of the verse we just explained happened, where you're, you're symbolizing being dead to your sin and now raised in Christ. And so, it's like the old you is dying, the new you is now in Christ. So, it's the verbiage of it. Like someone said, "I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit." You know, dead to your sin. All so, some version of this verse comes out. So, you most likely have heard verbiage like this before. If you've been in a Christian worship service that has had a baptism. And usually the baptizer or the pastor, whoever's doing, whoever's, you know, putting their hands on the one getting baptized and, and putting them under and bringing them back up. They're saying something like this because the, 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 the baptism rite itself symbolizes that. And so there's, there, there's, some, there's a symbol of going under and coming back that Paul brings up here in this verse. And, and so now verse 13. Okay. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Gosh, that sounds like our favorite verse in Ephesians 2. <laughs> Don't go there, Joel. I was like, basically, man, like, this is essentially Ephesians 2.1. Right? In our lives, there was that great, and I'm going to put it in air quotes because you can't see it in radio land, were, were, we were dead in sins. Amen. Again, when it, when he talks there about circumcised, symbolizing saved and purified, we were unsaved in our circumcision. It's it's the great reminder that there needs to be a before and after in our lives. There needs to be a transformation that comes from joining Jesus, who calls us to life, just like Lazarus in John chapter eleven. Lazarus was dead, incapable of doing anything, and in our case, spiritually. And when Jesus calls us, we are raised to life. There has to be a difference between lying in a tomb and running around. Right. And then, then, he, then he unpacks that in verse 14. Uh, so so it, it comes off the phrase, you know, having forgiven us all our trespasses now by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So what's verse 14 tell us? Well, this is the one time where the word cancel is a good thing versus the way it's used in cancel culture. Um, as Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Hmm. Here, Paul reminds us that this is just what Jesus did to cancel. Again, this is the good cancel, that ultimate penalty, penalty of, of sin in our lives. You know, I think somebody once gave that there were three P's of sin in our lives. There was the power of sin the presence of sin and the penalty of sin. The power and penalty of sin have been removed in the ultimate sense. Obviously, we still deal with the consequences of sin in our lives, but we know that in the ultimate sense, we've been spared from that. But, but you know, the, the one thing that we're still really contending with is really just the presence of sin, you know. But as far as the penalty of sin, no more, you know. And, and, and Jesus canceling... You know, so so this is a, that one time where I, I really approve the word cancel because I love Jesus canceling our sins at the cross. Right, right. 
and this is a great reminder, those, those of our listeners who, who, who maybe struggle with forgiveness, um, I, I occasionally journey with people that say, I need to learn how to forgive myself. And I struggle with that concept because I look at a verse like this, where it's in verse 13, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Now in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. So I don't know how I would forgive myself. How can I stand in a position to cancel my debt? And how can I nail it to a cross when, I mean, who's going to die in this case? Am I God in that scenario? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why forgiveness of self doesn't, is doesn't compute biblically because I, I I can't cancel the debt the way God cancels debt, and it's I, for those of us who are who are worried about that. And I would I would instead go to Romans eight one, especially if you belong to Christ, you have no business condemning yourself anymore if Christ is not condemning you. So it's like there's no longer any condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans eight one. So so if you if you belong to Jesus and you have had your debt canceled. And then you have no business beating yourself up anymore. So rather than forgiving yourself, you can stop condemning yourself. But I, there's just an idea here that if forgiveness looks like how you would say canceling a debt. You could keep it monetarily. You could say, okay, that means that if I'm going to forgive someone, I'm going to take their principal down to zero. And I'm going to also going to, the juice isn't going to flow anymore. The interest is going to be off too. That's the, the debt's canceled. I'm not going to hold anything against that person anymore. Or it could look, a, look like a campfire where You've taken a cup of water and full, fully, fully extinguishing it. The embers are not they're glowing. No, no, no. There's no chance of it coming back to life. That's a fully canceled debt. And that's, that's the image he's giving here. Of, of That's what forgiveness looks like. He's forgiven us all our trespasses. Yeah. This is a 1 John 1, 9. Yeah. If he's faithful and just to, 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 to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now all of our yeah. sins are canceled. So this is, there's hope now. And so... This is the only way you're going to come from debt from dead to life is if, if all your debt's been erased, all your debt's been canceled rather. And so it's it, 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 not like it stops existing, but now God said, okay, no, no, I've taken it. The penalty is now canceled, but I put it on the cross. It's like, it's there now. And so it's no longer on you. It's on the cross. So, and, and more importantly on, on Jesus. So this is good stuff. So let's, let's go to verse 15, Mick. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over in him, over them in him, Triumph, triumphing over them in him. Triumphing is not a, not, not a participle we use often, triumphing. So what's he talking about with that triumph? So, yeah, so here, here we go. With Jesus's death on the cross, and, and I think we, I always like using imagery that the Bible uses because I think that really, so with Jesus's death on the cross, what happens when Jesus said, it is finished? The veil in, in the temple was torn, where? From top to bottom, meaning mm -hmm. what? That sin and death had lost their sting and victory. Jesus paid the debt in full, you know, and I like that you, you stress that. They, they no longer, you know, these spiritual you know, people who could say to God, hey, foul, you have to condemn that person. Hey, you got to send that person to hell. They can't do that anymore. They can't cry foul and, 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 and um, you know, bring charges against God being unfair or whatnot, because there they have it that, that they no longer have a claim on us who belong to Jesus. Right. I mean, in like in first Corinthians, uh, you know, where oh death is your victory, where yeah. is your sting. And so it has, it's playing with an image there. It's almost making death like anthropomorphized where there's something about the one who's ruling that the area of death, who's mm -hmm. going to accuse. And so in like in revelation 12, 
the accuser of our brothers has been cast down. So this mm. idea, and then in Revelation 20, where sin and death are now emptying out their people that are going to go into the lake of fire. So now that anthropomorphism yeah. is complete, where here Jesus is, dis is disarming those rulers and authorities that are using sin and death as an accusing tactic. Yeah. And it's, uh, so I like how you said that, crying foul. And yeah, that's, that's 9 to 15. There's a lot going on there. Oh but man, we could spend hours on just those few verses, man. This is Paul, and this is Colossians is a great, great letter of theology. And but now, so he's gonna now that he's laid this foundation, he's now gonna go back to personal matters with mm -hmm. the Colossian people. So at the Colossian church. So now let's give verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the, of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Mick, what is Paul's point here about the dietary and festival restrictions? What's going on there? Well, we have a tendency to miss the forest for a tree. And since Paul mentioned circumcision earlier and we talked about this, you have to wonder in what shape, way, or form some sort of legalism is starting to, to set in around here. Um, maybe not quite, you know, like in the letter to the Galatians, but look, even true believers sometimes get caught up in variations of legalisms. You know, anytime any one of us tries to impose his or her recipe on how church should be run or, or how Christians need to be living in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, there are also those who like to lord it over others, you know. Um, within the church, this generally takes the form of, of you know, in, you know, when it comes to certain religious practices, um, should we go to church on Sunday or Saturday? And then we, you know, it becomes a big feuding thing, you know. Um, I like the fact that we have the option of people going to church on Saturdays, because for some people it's necessary. And that, and what's ultimately what God's emphasizing, again, going back to John chapter three, is God looks at the heart of the true worshiper. He's looking for people who worship him in spirit and truth. He doesn't care if you worship him any of the, which of the seven days is that day. Um, should we do communion every day of the week, every, every day or, or whatever? Or should, we, or should we even participate in, say, uh, Fourth of July community festivities or whatever? Should a Christian support a particular business for any fill-in-the-blank reason? You know, Paul is saying that there needs to be love and freedom and respect. If you like eating at an establishment that blares heavy metal devil music, but you like eating the burgers there, that's your prerogative. If you like watching dating shows or reality TV, that's on you. Um, if you if you like going to sporting events or concerts or, or, or dance clubs, that's between you and the Lord. I mean, that's essentially what Paul is saying. Right. And on an individual level, we, we, we are all limited by a 1 Corinthians 10.31 whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But, but yeah, there's, I mean, at some level here, it's almost as if Paul is saying the Levitical code of Moses can only go so far. And in Christ, so it's, it's, it's as if Paul, there's, there's a verse in Matthew, I should have looked it up, but in, in, in the gospel of Matthew, or Mark, pardon me, Mark, Mark's, Mark, Mark's edition of when Jesus talked about, you know, various, this, what goes into your body it's what comes out of your body that's more important than what comes into your body. And then Mark put a parenthesis in there and says, by this, Jesus declared all food clean. Yeah. Okay. Where all of a sudden now, all the Leviticus regulations about shellfish and all, all pork, all, all these things, they would become off the table in Christ. In Christ, those things don't divide us anymore. 
And it seems like Paul's doubling down here, like, hold on. Don't let these people now divide you and discourage you or disqualify you um, because you're not being good Moses followers. And so that goes back to Galatians. So you're, you're not living the, the dietary or the, the, the Passover. You're not, you're not living these, 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 re, these external regulations that the Jewish belief, the Jewish mindset, they had to do. That was part of the Mosaic Code. But here in Christ, we're part of a new covenant where those things no longer define us the way they once did. Like, is that how you see it too? Is the, the, the oh, yeah. Levitical code can, is only going so far here with Paul? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know. I mean, which I'm just trying to imagine is Paul being a Pharisee of Pharisees, how convicting these sentences were to write because they were his entire world. I mean, let's face it. Don't we all want to eat uh, bacon-wrapped shrimp? <laughs> Yeah, it's like a red lobster theology. You can't really eat there unless you just have fish. Yeah, I hear you. All right, so let's see. So we are- I can't because I'm allergic to shrimp, by the way. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Shrimp is really, really good protein. Uh, so, uh, verse 17, a shadow. What, what's he talking about there? All right, so in verse 17, uh, Paul says something really interesting. He says that th there's shadows of things. In other words, the big emphasis with the idea of shadows is that a shadow is not the thing itself. You got to understand that he's writing this in a time where post-Plato philosophy, people understood these concepts. So it's something that people could understand. One of the things that Plato explained is that there is the thing itself and the shadow that it casts. Mm. And that oftentimes we confuse the one for the other is the point that Plato was making. So we confuse the shadow of the thing for the, for the real thing itself. And so he's saying that basically the shadow represents the symbolism and going back to the code that you're talking about the levitical code a lot of the things in, in that that jesus basically fulfilled and therefore annulled were the things in the levitical code because a lot of them were meant to be shadow things like what kinds of food to eat the the even the the the, the ritual of circumcision the circumcision does that make you good or bad no it doesn't do anything it just basically takes the foreskin off of, of a part of your body you know it doesn't affect your behavior, you know, um, but but it symbolized something. It, it symbolized separateness. It symbolized purity. It symbolized uh, holiness. And, and you know, so there, there, there's a value to, to symbolism. But at the end of the day, it, that's that's what a shadow is. It's, it's, it's empty. You know, um, what really matters is the substance, the object of faith itself. And that, he says, is Jesus. So so it's important if, if you go to church on a Saturday so it's not important if you go to church on a Saturday or Sunday so much as it is, or if you watch football games on Sunday being the Lord's Day or whatever, you know, what Jesus wants, what he's really interested in is your, your life, your life as a whole. Wow. It's great stuff here. Those of you who are listening to our podcast and you're reminded that um, Paul was writing in a world that was following other philosophies and and Plato and 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 the the Socrates Socrates and yeah there's stuff going on philosophically that you know it, you can see it influencing how Paul addresses them because he now brings up ideas and he brings right. up concepts and and what he's doing is he's using what's familiar to them totally this is the same thing Jesus would do Jesus would exactly. speak to a bunch of farmers and, and people living hand to mouth you know kind of a hard scrabble existence off the ground you know, and then he would use farming imaging or cattle image. I mean, Jesus would use images from there in his parables 
that the common people would understand. And so that was their life. So, all right. So that's 16 and 17 and eight. And then now we have 18 and 19. All right. So pull up the verses here. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And was that, was that 17 and 18? Yes. You're on the right track. All right. The, the, you need 19 though. Oh, nine, oh, pardon me. Pardon me. 19. Okay. Pardon me. Okay. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Okay. So what is, uh, how does Paul describe the opponents trying to disqualify Colossian Christians here? So he says that they're, uh, they're puffed up without reason. In other words, they're full of themselves. Mm -hmm. And worse yet, they're not even connected to Jesus. Wow. That's right. They're, they're, they're claiming identity. But if you're not connected to the head, you're not really connected to much at all, are you? Nope. Can't be wow. a part of the body if you're, not, if, they're, if, if you're not with the head. So asceticism, uh, what's asceticism, Mick? Asceticism is basically where you do these kind of like <laughs> uh, self-torture things, like you're trying to gain favor in, in, in essence, you know, like, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm going to use, even though I'm not, you know, trying to put them down, but, you know, monks to give, give kind of an imagery, you know, where they kind of they basically renounce the world and go into their little communities and just devote themselves to reading and praying and, and whatnot, you know, but they, they basically deny themselves the pleasure of sex, probably eating, you know, you know, you know, snack foods that are, that are full of preservatives and whatnot, you know, to eat uh, vegan style, whatever's, you know, and they, you know, they just deny themselves a lot of pleasures as if that was the, a means of attaining something. Right. And I, I remember in high school, in like the literature reading classes, studying like Henry David Thoreau, mm, yeah. there, there was this movement called like transcendentalism, yeah, where you would kind of escape up to the mountains and make candles. And you, it was kind of like a proto kind of hippie kind of commune thing before that was popular in the, in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s or whatever. That's like, okay, there was that idea of I can get away, I can live this solitary existence. And yeah, the solitary existence would have the, the denial of, of, of the creature comforts, but there's something about just being away and being apart from everybody, which is kind of like, not just the monk, but maybe like the hermit. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that old man who lives on the side of a mountain somewhere. Yeah. And that's where I'm gonna find my purpose and my meaning. And so again, that gets back to, I, I need to be empty. I need to empty myself of yeah. all the other things in order to find what really happens. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if that's going to happen, that, that would happen in the Psalm 46 sense of being still now and knowing that he is God. But here it's saying, no, no, Christ is filling you. This is not yeah. about you being empty. It's about you being full. And so this is, uh, yeah. So th there's people evidently in the Colossians day that were insisting upon the hermit lifestyle and insisting upon denying everything from the flesh and not having any part of pleasure any, that you get a, nothing can be part of that in order to, to understand Christ. And, and Paul's like, hold on here. And then going to angel worship and, and visions. And yeah, that's the thing about visions is that you can't really prove them. 
I mean, I've had people go on and on with me about the vision they had and, and what God tells them. And, and, and I just have to say, well, I, I wish that was true. I just don't know if it's true. In fact, I had one woman who went on for, for five minutes before. I said, do you know that God said all these things to me? She went on and kept saying, do you know, do you know? I just kind of said, I don't know. I'm sorry. That's, I, I, wish, I wish I could know, but I can't because your visions are by definition a subjective matter. And so these people here are going on in subjectivity where Paul's saying, hold on, we're dealing with objective truth here. That people want to disqualify you because you're going to all these you know, visions and at great length and all these. No, you can't prove those things. This is about what can be known and what can be filled. It's like, it's, to use Paul's imagery here, it, it would be going on and on about the shadow. Yeah. As opposed to going on about what's casting the shadow. Yeah. If the shadow has no weight, it has no matter. It's just light bouncing off of you and you're blocking just enough light so that when it hits the ground, it's seeing the light's not making it to the ground. Instead, the light is it, it, it's it, the void that is you. In, as So there's nothing there. Yeah. And so why, why disqualify people over nothingness? That that's, that's so Paul's, I like, I like how you help describe it because it's like Paul's like, Hey, there's things that are, they're dividing people. That's not to be dividing us anymore. Yeah. In Christ, we have something that has substance. We have something that is filling us, not emptying us. And and so Paul and Paul brings it home here. Uh, unless there's anything more you wanted to say about those. Oh, books. no, um, this, this is great. I mean, I want to I mean, like I said, we could spend hours on this stuff because there's always some another thing to unpack. But no, I think this is moving around, around real nicely. All right. Twenty to twenty three. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Well, what is, so Paul kind of brings up an if-then style argument, kind of like a rabbinical argument. What is Paul's if-then argument? I think he uses being dead and then being alive. So what's his if-then? So Paul is saying that, that it makes no sense to say that Jesus is your Lord if, if you insist on not trusting and following him, ultimately. Uh, Jesus never talked about organs or electric guitars. I'll use that as an example or about hip-hop music. But, but Jesus did talk about love and unity, and we even saw that even earlier in the passage. Uh, especially in the body of, of Christ, which is the church. Paul's essentially saying, do you really trust Jesus, especially the things that he's clear about? Have you truly trusted him? Sadly, some people leave a church because they, they don't like the fact that, that the church has embraced modern things like multimedia presentations or, or modern urban styles of, of music and, and expression in worship services. Or because they, they want to watch this, or because people want to watch the Super Bowl or, or World Cup in the church, and they'll say Jesus didn't need a microphone, he didn't need the internet, he didn't need Zoom, he, he didn't, didn't have a podcast, blah, 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 you know, he didn't have a podcast, Mick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so those <laughs> kinds of things, you know, and they, they they think like like oh no no we can't we can't embrace those things. It's like we have to live the most torturous existence to to be right with him, like. Um, you know, here, here's a shocker. I, this is something I learned when I, when I was going to Moody. Like I was talking to one of my teachers who's on the older side of the spectrum. And she was saying that there, there were that she was looking at things that there was a time when people hated the fact 
that Moody Radio was coming into existence. They, they, they saw because they saw the radio as the devil's airwaves, you know. What Moody's doing radio? Oh no, it was like you know, there there was controversy for that. We don't even we don't even think about it now, but back then there was controversy. And again, sometimes these things, their stances or positions, they, they seem to be taking the, the position of some sort of higher ground, and, and, and they really aren't. What they are is they're divisive, they're damaging, and frankly, self-centered. And, and we all need to be careful about this. Yeah, they, 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 they have an, a, an appearance of wisdom. Well, yeah, yeah the, 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 the shadow that you cast appears to be something of value. It appears to be something of substance, but it's nothing. Yeah. I mean, you, you do those shadow animals on the wall, like, okay, I'm going to make a tiger, you know, and using your hands. That's not really a tiger. That's exactly. you using your hands to make a shadow. I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, so why divide over that? So how does Paul land the plane here, my friend? I think he says that those things have no value in stopping you from sinning because it's true. You know, oh, I'm going to whip myself because of, you know, the evilness in me. Guess what? Once you're done whipping yourself, in about five, within five minutes, you're going to be doing the same evil thing you, you were doing before you started whipping yourself as a self sort of punishment or, or penance or whatever. I mean, they, they don't stop you from sinning. The important thing will always be Jesus, the God man. Are you connected to him? Is he your Lord? And I think that's where Paul's landing the plane with this stuff. Amen. So so what, what what's your closing thought today, Mick? Well, you know, I was excited about coming to Book of Colossians for a couple of, of, of reasons. I mean, the, all the books have something that that wants me to go there. In Colossians, obviously, the, the chapter one with the great Christ, Christological moment there. But in this particular chapter, actually, the, the, the verses that call me, and there, there's sentimental reasons for it as well, are six and seven. And I'm going to read them just so that they're fresh in our minds. And now I'm going to read it off the NLT. And, and now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So because Jesus is my Lord and by Lord, that means both my God and my master. I need to continue and continue present active, following him, following his instruction, following his guidance, obeying him. This is, this is not optional. It's a must but it's a good must. Think about it. Jesus loves me. And I put that in the present tense and that love me, loves me. And he gave his life for me so that I could have mine in the fullest sense. Remember he fills us. And, and I'm not saying it's easy, but I'll gladly follow him. Uh, and, and Paul reminds us that we need to build our lives on, on Jesus as the foundation. We grow by being connected to him. If, if this was written, you know, in 2022, it would say that that we need to, something along the lines that we need to stay plugged into him. You know, all this to say is that I need to continuously stay in proximity to Jesus. If I have any shot at a transformed life, it's got to be in Jesus. Amen. And I'm, I'm really glad that you, you, you gave us a great foundation there. And that is... So now, now I'm going to build, now that you've laid the foundation, I'm, I'm going to build the, the, the first floor upon that foundation. And this is an old timey pastor phrase. And it's, it was old when I first heard it, you know, decades ago, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And we live in a world 
world today where so many people have main things and they have their sacred cows and they have the things that, that they, they use to divide others and they have the thing that's most sacred to them. And so then they go to and take a spiritual cudgel and hammer and they just start hammering away. And we see here in, chap in chapter two of Colossians where Paul's warning about division, division and people who are using things that are dividing and what they're using are not main thing issues. It's like they're using the shadow to divide, not the substance. They're using things that are not Jesus to divide. They're using things that maybe sound right or using things that appear to be holy or that appear to have some kind of spiritual or religious value. But if they're truly dividing people from Christ, they have no Jesus value. It's like they, they, you are, if you're using Christianity to discourage Christians, you are not following the substance. You are following a shadow. Your main thing is not the main thing. And so Paul was reminding the Colossians, stay on target because there are plenty of people out there to try to divide you with any random external thing that they want to do. Everybody has their sacred cow that they want to use now to get you on their team. You are not some empty creature seeking to be filled by whatever is out there. You are filled by Christ. So now stay true to that substance and don't be led astray. Don't let them discourage you. Don't let them divide you because they're trying to divide you with a shadow and you're holding to the substance. And so the main thing is to stay the main thing. So our, so our, our listeners, we who belong to Christ, we belong to Christ. He has filled us. He has circumcised us. Everything about him is God fully pleased to dwell in him. We now follow him. And so we don't follow the whims and philosophies of our day. So therefore, we're not divided by the whims and philosophies of our day. We should not be discouraged and disqualified by the whims and philosophies of our day. We don't set our sail and let, let culture guide us. And so therefore, we don't set, we don't, we're not limited by culture. We're, we're not directed by culture. We're not disqualified by the culture. We are, by definition, countercultural in this world, but not of this world. And so... Mick, you laid a great foundation. That right there is kind of a great reminder. The other half of our text today is a great reminder to the Colossians that we need to heed as well. And if you, are, if you are a disqualifier or divider, knock it off. If you are having someone in your life trying to disqualify or divide you because of Christ, go to the substance. I was going to say knock them out. <laughs> Good. You hold to the substance. They're trying to hold on to a shadow. So what's more important? So great reminders today from Colossians 2. This has been a great time together. As always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm still Professor D. Thanks for joining us in Masterclass Theology today. And we look forward to next week. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.